There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, Molson Indy Weekend. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a great weekend, I think. Indeed, it shall be. Um, hard to think about the cold nights on the streets of Toronto. I just want to remind Hi-Fi Radio listeners that uh, yours truly, Wolfgang Klein, will be sleeping on the streets of Toronto uh, for Covenant House uh, in November. Uh, please visit the website, make a donation to Covenant House, help the cause. I got a goal of raising $15,000. And, well, you could be the second donor uh, to help support a very, very good and important cause, helping youth uh, find shelter. And that's what Covenant House is all about, helping our youth. Very, very important cause, tax deductible. Uh, so basically you'll get, well, a third to half your money back uh, and you'll do a whole lot of good. That's Covenant House. Yes, indeed, all part of Hi-Fi Radio, passing on the good message. Uh, hope you're having a good morning. Jack Hartle in studio. We have Joe Farrell, head of research, Velocity Trade Capital, joining us. Uh, good to have you back in the studio, Joe. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, again, you are a technician. You look at charts and you have a uh, well, both a macro, uh, which is a big picture, point of view uh, on markets in general. And uh, when I go through your packages of work, you go through currencies, you go through global indices, you go through bond yields, you go through commodities. Uh to really give a, a true global macro viewpoint of uh, markets and where they are. So uh, right here, right now, as we're in the dog days of summer, uh, and, and we're coming up into earnings as well, um, you know, uh, Trump tariffs, uh, rhetoric, uh, oil uh, bouncing around, um, Canadian dollar week, uh, interest rates rising. Uh, really, there's a lot to talk about. Plus, we're in the uh, second year of a uh, we're in the mid- midterm elections coming up in November, which tends to uh, pose additional challenges for the marketplace. So uh, I think more now than ever, uh, investors uh, need guidance. Uh, that's what uh, we're here to do here on Hi-Fi Radio, give you some financial guidance. Sure. I mean, I think Wolfgang, when you look at where uh, global equity markets are right now, um, where you're in one of two camps, basically. You're either in a camp that we're in a late cycle correction, uh, which is certainly the camp that I'm in. Uh, others are more bearish and think we're in the end of cycle action, that we're heading into an imminent uh, bear market. Uh, again, I, um, and you're right, there's a lot of trade rhetoric out there. Uh, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of headline risk. I think investors are acting with too much emotion. When I kind of look at global macro technicals, I'm still, uh, I'm still bullish. Now, again, since January, we've been in a sideways grind. We're in an ongoing correction. I can certainly see that going on for a few more months out into the fall, out into the midterm election. But I do think it's all setting up for a euphoric moonshot uh, out 2019 into 2020. Moonshot? Yeah. So early in the morning. Uh, so, what, what do you mean by that? Let, 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 no, let's elaborate a little bit on that statement of yours. So, so again, we are late cycle. I think this is a late cycle correction. A lot of the variables I look at, I, I, I see a lot of similarities to where we are right now. Uh, and sorry, where, sorry, I want to interrupt because yep. you're making a, a point here. What, what is late cycle in your opinion? Uh, I, again, late site. Again, this is a bull market that's been going on since 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, I'm not calling for another three, four, five years on this cycle. Uh, but a lot like 1998, when you had the correction into the fall of 98, uh, it went over the summer into the fall, mm-hmm. uh, and then from the fall of 98, you had that final euphoric up leg at the end of a cycle uh, into March 2000. Uh, I think we're seeing kind of the same pattern play out here. Once we get through this sideways correction out into the fall, uh, I think you're going to see a real euphoric 
metaphoric melt-up out over the next 18 months. And, and if you look at uh, 1998 too, um, you know, that was on geopolitical concerns. That was not on economic concerns at the time. Right, you weren't in the middle of a recession, so it was a non-recession correction. It, it was the Asian contagion. That, 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 that's right. And you guys right. are making a great point. I think you look at the economies around the world, I think the underlying fundamentals are still very strong. A lot of it is just headline risk being driven uh, by the trade rhetoric. You know, I'm going to agree with you on that, Joe. This, this has been a year, I believe, where investors could very easily be shaken out of a bull market, uh, only to watch it uh, perhaps have a moonshot uh, come the third year of the presidential term, which is 2019. And this year, in fact, isn't that bad. The, Valuations the, have actually gotten better. Valuations earnings are better. continue to rise. That's right. And I think that's part of the market resilience. The, mar- if, the market doesn't want to go down with earnings expected to grow at 20%. No, right? but so interest it, but rates are rising, mm-hmm. which again is a vote of confidence to the marketplace. They have to get rates up. Uh, they are still negative yield at these levels uh, when you factor inflation in. So the Bank of Canada really can, can, can raise rates uh, another one and a half percentage points without really disrupting it believes economic activity because we are almost running full bore uh and it's ironic because earnings are up 20 percent yet the market right now is saying i don't really care and that's where some of us are scratching our heads the question is how much of that uh rise in earnings per share uh has already been baked into the cake yeah and how much has this bad news been baked into the cake too you talk about trump you talk about geopolitical news you talk about uh, oil going down uh I think it was Wednesday, it went down almost 5%. Yeah. You know, how, how much of that is already baked into the market too? But it's amazing how resilient the market is. And you and I were talking about this, Jack, because again, the maximum tariffs Trump can impose on Chinese imports is all of them, which is $500 billion of goods. And he's pretty close to that number. And yet the market has really held these levels remarkably well. Yeah, no, and I mean, you guys are nailing it. When you step back and you look at the absolute truth of the price action, like, you know, in the last month or two, people, if you stand back and you told people that the Russell 2000 small cap index in the U.S., is it an all-time high? The New York Stock Exchange advanced decline line has actually broken out to a new all-time high. That, 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 that's just talk about market breadth as well. And people say the market, they're saying a lot, of, a lot of stocks aren't participating. Not all stocks ever participate, it, it, but market breadth has been, I think, relatively healthy. It, it, it absolutely has. I mean, So it's pe- not just the FANG stocks driving this market higher. No, 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 again, the way the math works is the FANG stocks, which are the largest weight, sure, they do drive the higher percentage because they're the largest stocks, but it's, it's a fallacy to say that it's a thin market that doesn't have good breadth. And even within technology, Wolfgang, you know, I run three U.S. model portfolios. Those three models are littered with technology stocks with great quant ranks based on earnings momentum, surprise and revisions, and great underlying technicals. And a lot of these stocks are hitting new 52-week highs. Uh, so it truly is a fallacy when bears say, oh, we're in a really thin market being driven by five stocks. Yes, those five stocks are important. They do drive uh, the bulk of the gains because they're the five biggest stocks. But there's so much underlying strength of breadth in this market. And I, and again, when you say that to people, you have to stand back and look at the facts. And I think, you know, in this trade rhetoric cycle here, people are just being emotional and they're not stepping back and looking at the price action. What which stocks have been most affected by trade, uh, do you guys believe? Sure. So when you look at what hits uh, when when, you know, when Trump comes out and there's trade rhetoric, I kind of say there's you know kind of four areas where I see it. Clearly, the Shanghai market itself, it, right. it, it takes a big hit. Yep. Uh, the, the, you know, the emerging markets that correspond to yep. China over there on that side of the world take a hit. Clearly, some of the base metals, then copper, uh, take a big hit. And, you know, if you're looking at real global industrials, uh, the real big ones that do a lot of uh, work in China, names like Boeing and Caterpillar, 
that seems to be where the hits are concentrated. Interesting. We uh, have Joe Farrell, head of research at Velocity Trade Capital. He is a market technician, uh, publishes an awful lot of work, spends a lot of time looking at markets, and well, he's here to help guide Jack and I, guide you on Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, we shall be back right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio, good morning, Molson Indy Weekend, Wolfgang Klein, your host on Hi-Fi Radio, a show about moolah. Who wouldn't like a little more moolah in your jeans, especially on a nice hot summer day? A few extra bucks to spend in the city of Toronto or wherever you are. Hope you're having a good one. Uh, Jack Hartle, of course, here for the cause, and we have Joe Farrell in studio. He is head of research at Velocity Trade Capital. I see him as a market technician and a very good student of markets. And we're not just talking about the stock market. No, 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 no. Multiple markets we must pay attention to. Stocks, bonds, currencies, commodities, uh, international equities, international indices, interest rates. Yes, there are many markets that we must digest to put it all together to create a very sound portfolio for clients, for you. That's what the show's all about. Uh, so where did we leave off here in terms of this uh, global macro uh, chitty chat that we're having? Let me ask you a question. You're coming out of the gate here, Joe. Um, bull market. So when do you think she's going to end? Um, I, I, again, I think once we get through this 2018 grind, I think you've probably, and, and, and again, if that happens out later into this fall, which I think it does, I think you've probably got another 18 months of roadway. And like I, like I said before, a lot of it lines up very similar to the fall correction of 98. Remember, you had a big correction into September 98. From there, you literally had a very, very bullish, euphoric move up. Uh, into March of 2000, again, about 18 months. Uh, I, again, using that as a roadmap, it could be a little longer, it could be a little shorter, uh, but that is the uh, template that I'm using. What's so keeping you up at night right now? Well, I, I, again, I think, uh, you know, all of us, we listen to this trade rhetoric and clearly, you know, as we as we discussed earlier, some of the emerging markets, Dr. Copper uh, has had a bit of a technical breakdown uh, in some of the global industrials. Uh, but again, it's kind of a small portion of everything I look at. So it certainly is, you, you want to see if that leaks into all the other areas that I look at. My main point is that it's not. I could also make the argument that, you know, with Shanghai and emerging markets and copper and copper stocks getting hit down here, if I think we're still in a bull market, I'd probably look at it the other way and think you're presenting some opportunities. There are some of these names and indices have been hit 15, 20, 25 percent. Uh, so again, you kind of have to take one of two sides here, guys. You either think this is a continuation, uh, it's, it, it's a sideways grind in an ongoing bull market, or you think, you know, if you're a bear, you're thinking this is a top and we're heading into a recession. And it's a pretty important decision because it's obviously going to affect how you manage money, how you're positioning portfolios, and obviously what sectors you would be overweight and underweight. All the sectors that you mentioned uh, before uh, the break, you know, China, you talked about emerging markets, base metals. The, uh, the large industrials, those are all late cycle asset classes that you want to be in if you think that moonshot is coming that you're talking about, Joe. And like you said, trade is uh, a big concern right now. It's making headlines uh, and it's causing a lot of weakness in all of those sectors. Yeah. You want to give us some stock ideas, stocks you like, stocks you don't like? 
Sure. So I, I, again, kind of the areas that I'm focused on, as Jack said, are those late cycles. So energy, industrials, I do like the financials. I like the discretionary and the tech. I think I've been on your show a number of times, uh, Wolfgang. Really like energy here. Again, the commodity itself is broken out of a three-year base at 55. I think I've been on record here. I've been in print uh, for the last six to nine months. I think oil's going to $100. So kind of looking at what stocks look really tremendous. Uh, Suncor has broken out of a 10-year base at 47. What do you think of Suncor being 25% of the oil index? Again, I mean, unfortunately, that's just the way our market works, right? We're a very... Our, our Canadian market, yes. Yeah, exactly. Canadian it's just yeah. the way it is. But but it doesn't take away from the fact, step back, look at the chart of Suncor. For the first time in 10 years, it's broken out through 47. It got up there in 11, got up there in 15, got up there again now, and it's actually broken out. Jack, Jack and I, we have, what, a 3% weighting in Suncor in our portfolio? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a big position big holding for us. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that is, that, that's a, it's a very important stock in Canada. It's a very important signal for the Canadian market. You know, when it did break out three months ago, we almost immediately saw bullish trickle down into a lot of the mid and small caps. Now, it's not a throw the dart at every oil stock in Canada, but clearly there are winners and losers, and the ones with great technical structure that measure upside, and there's a number of them, uh, I, I, again, I think they're they're gonna work here in this environment. CNQ would be another name. The exact same chart as Suncor, hasn't even broke out of the 10-year base, it's coming up to it at 50. Again, these are the types of charts, guys, that if oil, go, oil measures to $100, I can give you a lot of oil and gas equities in North America that, believe it or not, have 50 to 100% upside, I think, over the next 18 to 24 months. I bet you most Canadians are very underweight oil in the portfolios. Jack and it, I it are It depends underweight. if you live in Alberta or not, but yeah. <laughs> no, correct. But I think in, in, in the main, we're underweight Which means, my point is, um, if we're underweight oil, when it starts to percolate up further and grab some attention, uh, it, it could so be basically th a transport truck going through th the There's a lot the of money needle. on the side. There's a lot of institutions that are not even equal weight. Uh, and, and, and again, you're right. And I think that that's kind of how, you know, the supply demand of, of a euphoric melt up. That's how it happens. People are caught offside. They're underweight. And especially the big institutions that got to get in there. That's what kind of drives right. the big price. Moves. Joe, Joe, what do you make of the Canadian dollar? It's been very weak uh, on trade concerns. But if oil goes to 100 bucks. Uh, it's a late cycle, risk-on type currency. Uh, where do you see it going? Great question. If I look at USD CAD, I think it's trading around 131 and a half, 132. So USD CAD has actually had a breakout through 131 strictly on the technicals. It measures, uh, it measures up to 138, which means weaker Canadian dollar. Which means weaker Canadian dollar. But here's what I throw back at you guys, okay? Um, you know, I, I kind of look back to September 98 and where a lot of these macro variables were. You know, people forget the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield at the correction bottom in September 98 was at 4.11%. Yeah. Over the next 18 months, it ran up to 6.8%. Yeah. The U.S. dollar, the trade-weighted dollar, went from 92 to 120. Okay, so people would say, well, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. dollar was so strong, how could oil have participated? If you look at the facts from September 98 to March 2000, oil went from $10 to $36. So I, I, again, um, to me, yeah, ten dollar oil, ten dollar oil, Jack? to thirty six dollars. I, 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 I do remember well actually. Well before Jack's time there, but I keep saying Jack. I was in Peterborough at the time. I think it was like forty cents a liter or something like that. That yeah, was good times. Wow, unbelievable, Joe. A treat to have you in studio. We shall be bringing you back. But next, we're going to talk about trade wars and how they affect Walker's Point Marine. If you want, you buy yourself a boat. Ooh, I don't know about that. Well, we're going to talk to head of sales and marketing at Walker's Point. He'll hopefully help us find a way of getting around some tariffs right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. 
Welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio, a show about high finance. Oh, to dream, eh? To own a yacht, a great big yacht. I remember I was in Florida, Jack, and uh, I saw these yachts in front of the hotel. Uh, I think it was the Fontaine Bleu uh, I was in. I was at a conference, an oil and gas conference, as a matter of fact. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I was speaking with some of the folks, and they are saying, you know, most of those yachts that are commissioned to be built, I never actually picked up by the original owner. The original owner uh, sees good times in business, commissions these yachts that are take a couple of years to custom build. Right. Uh, they're, they're worth millions. Um, to fuel them and, and, and man them is just insane. But anyways, they, by the time they uh, have the boat built, the, the person's out of business or divorced. It's a sign of a top, eh? Yeah, and then just, someone someone picks uh, come comes in and picks up the boat uh, at you know the 70, 70, 80 cents on the dollar. Uh, but anyways... <sighs> Trump apparently is going to be taxing boats to put a great big tariff on them. I, I heard upwards of the tune of $10,000 per boat. And if you're in the market, certainly is the right weekend for it. We got Bob Campbell, uh, sales and marketing at Walker's Point Marina. Uh, apparently, you're quite the uh, iconic uh, marina, uh, according to Jack uh, Bob. Yes, we're, uh, we've been known for quite some time. The been, been, been in business uh, since 1979, yep. uh, owned by a couple named Earl and Sharon Dunn, who... Finally retired after uh, 40 years. So how's, how's Earl? Earl is uh, getting ready to be a farmer again. He at, at 79, is he? Yes, he is. Incredible. The, an entrepreneur and a hearty man, obviously. Well, built up a great big brand, but uh, tell me something. So what is going on in the world of recreational uh, water fleet? Uh, marine craft is marine, the official term. Marine. I'm from Minden, all right? So we, we, we do fishing boats, not marine craft up there. Uh, so, so what's going on? Well, the, bar, the market has been very strong the last three years. We, we've just had phenomenal years year over year. Uh, we had a record year in 2016. We uh, increased that by about 50% last year, and we're on uh, on track to uh, to beat uh, last year uh, this year. You, you, sorry, last year's sales were up 50%? On the previous year. That's unbelievable. We, we're in a unique marketplace in Muskoka. Are, are the prices of the boats, I guess, being affected by uh, the tariffs that the, the Trump's proposing and now, I guess, is implemented, Bob? Yeah, are they real and when are they hitting and how much? And what, what, yeah, give us some information on it. There, there's going to be a 10% to any, any boat that came into the country after from the U.S. after July 1st, 10% tariff. Plus, the manufacturers are annually put on about a 4% price increase. So any, any new boat, uh, for 2019 is going to be uh, at a minimum 15% more. So have those boats, uh, have you got them in, I guess, ahead of the tariff uh, arriving? We brought everything we could that we could get in before July 1st. So we, we, so, uh, so your customers will not be paying that 10% tariff or are you going to uh, mark it up a little bit there, Bob? Not not on those boats we brought in. However, we're, we, we've now put in our orders for, ne- for next year and uh, any new boat for next year is going to have that tariff on it. Right. And so what's the consumer reaction so far up in the Muskokas? Um, not really an awful lot yet. They haven't re- it hasn't really hit us yet. Uh, I, know our, I know our new owners who are the, 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 the Paladino group out of Sudbury. They own 10 car dealerships, and they, they're now getting into the marine business just because of, uh, you know, I think, I think it's uh, where they want to be. And, uh, they're, you know, they're still feeling pretty strong about, uh, about this, and they're, and uh, we think we'll weather. I mean, every marina is going to have the same problem because we're all going to have the same the same increase in prices. So it's now whether it affects the market overall. I, I think it will. Is there a, sorry? Is there a Canadian brand that we can buy? 
uh, there's not really many Canadian brands in, in, in the market, unfortunately. And it, the, the boats you're buying, they're all made down in the U.S., right, Bob? We carry three lines. One is uh, Cobalt, which is the number one line uh, built. Another one is Scout, and we carry one called Rossiter, which is a, a Canadian a Canadian built boat. What, sorry, what's that third one called? What's the third one? What brand is it? Ross. No, so what about uh, the uh, Bombardier? Come on, that's made at home after all, no? Uh, yeah, well, little ski dues and sea dues and uh, the likes? Yeah, we, we don't deal with Bombardier. We, in, in that line of, uh, I guess, personal watercraft, we deal with Yamaha uh, personal watercraft, the uh, wave runners. The, well, the typical consumer in your market, uh, how much are they spending on a boat? If you take our stern drive line, the Cobalt line, they're probably average prices... Uh, Around $100,000 is what they're spending. So basically a $10,000 tariff hitting those boats. Yeah, 10, uh, 10% tariff could be ten grand on those boats. Yeah, now I want to ask you another question because who, who was on the show, Jack, that brought it to our attention? It was someone, I think, in the steel business where, in fact, if they trade steel, they have to pay the tariff first before they ship the goods to customer. So pay the government first, then collect from the uh, yeah, they customer. Yeah, they hold an escrow, so, I think. Are you in the same boat in terms of buying your boats? When uh, you're when you're bringing boats, you have to pay Donald Trump first before you can receive those cobalts? I don't know that answer, to, uh, Wolfgang, to be to be honest, because uh, it really hasn't affected us yet. We, we don't know how, how the whole system is going to work. We know the manufacturers are going to be hit uh, with uh, with that tariff that they're uh, as they come across we're 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 going to have to charge charge that number on onto the boats so they're going to charge us. I mean the, the other the other thing which people aren't realizing as well is is the manufacturers in the U.S. they're going to be hit with that 25 percent tariff on products coming in from China and so marine components like engines and navigational systems and different things like that they're going to be hit with a with a 25 percent tariff. Uh, going right. into the U.S. So that'll, yeah, get that'll, pa- that'll get passed along to the consumer in, in, in the price increase. We're online here with uh, Bob Campbell, uh, sales and marketing at Walker's Point Marina. Uh, what lake? I guess Lake Muskoka. Lake Muskoka. Lake yeah. Muskoka. That's Mindeners, eh? Uh, look, we're going to pay some bills around here, but I'm going to get back with Bob Campbell, talk to him about how Trump is going to affect well, your water skiing boat this summer, right after this on Hi-Fi Radio. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. If everybody had an ocean across the USA, then everybody be serving like California. You'd see them wearing their baggies. Yes, indeed. Hi-Fi Radio, little Beach Boys. And uh, yes, Jack was telling me uh, he was out fishing on Lake Muskoka with his little daughter, just playing in the water with their noodle. And all of a sudden, they were buzzed by, what, 15, what do you call them, cigar boats? Or c- High, they, high-powered marine craft. High, high, <laughs> and how close do they get to your dock? It wasn't the dock. It was my boat. Uh, I was fishing off of a, a little... Uh, uh, I guess a marker, yeah. and um, maybe 30, 40 meters away from us, but just zooming right by. And how, how maybe doing 100 miles an hour. 100 miles an hour on Lake yep. Muskoka. Yep, maybe well, 80. Wow. Well, was there any Walker Point Marine uh, logos they, on those boats they that went were, by you? They were not Cobalt cruising boats. That they Bob weren't, eh? Them. I, I'm sure. What were they doing, a poker run? That's right, yeah. And 15 of them. Yeah, that was uh, last Sunday morning at about 8 o'clock. So they, not so only 8 did they... 8 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, they scared 100 the, mile an hour. They're, they're upsetting Jack. Yeah, scared and, my fish away. They scared your fish away. Yeah, How, what sure. did, didn't what, catch what did your daughter think about this? Um, 
she didn't really say anything. She's only seven years old. But, um, you know, like I said, we didn't catch any fish. So it was, uh, you know, a good day on the water. But, um, yeah, that was an unpleasant event. I'll say that. Wow. How, how many of the boats on Lake Muskoka, Bob, do you think your company, Walker's Point Marina, sold? Well, we, 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 we sell about uh, somewhere two to 300 uh, boats a year. Two to three. And what's the most expensive uh, sale you've ever made on a recreational vehicle? Watercraft. The most expensive one we've ever sold was uh, was a million two. Oh, a million wow. two. Whoa. Well, you talk about boats. I mean, the demand is very inelastic, right? They're not that price sensitive. So the people that are buying, whether it's a $100,000 boat or a $150,000 boat, I'm not saying it doesn't make that much of a difference for them. But um, I don't think a 10% tariff is going to affect them. Is, it, is that the case, Bob? We, cer- we certainly hope that's the case. I mean, you know, we a lot of our business is, is Bay Street, and it's, and it's driven by Bay Street. There's no, there's no question. What about your boat, Jack? How's that? How's that ski nautique? Poor My, Jack had the ski nautique. That, I uh, bought the cash flow cookbook uh, ski nautique, <laughs> uh, $10,000 boat. And you know what? Mine's up in, the, uh, up in the woods right now. My dad reminds me about it every weekend. And, um, you know, I just look at those cobalts cruising by as I sit on the dock. But, but your boat just has, it, it just needs to be tweaked, Jack. I know, I know that boat of yours can be fixed. That's a really, really good boat. I've, I've, you know what? I've struggled with it for two years now, and at some point I'll end up probably at Walker's Point. Because that brings me to the point about the used boat market. Um, if, the, if, if the new stuff is being hit with a great big uh, tariff, uh, what's going on with the used boat market? Uh, uptick in prices as a result of this? or and, 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 and It trickles down, I would imagine. That's, that's just it. What are, you, what are you noticing, Bob? Actually, the the used, the used boat market will, will be strong, and, and the, yeah. prices up, the prices will come up as well. Do you sell? Do you sell used boats at Walker's Point Marina? We we do. Uh, we probably have that uh, two to three hundred boats. Probably uh, forty to fifty of that a year would be uh, would be used boats. If you were to buy a new boat today, what's your favorite brand? Tell tell us what to tantalize uh, the boater and the fisherman out there. I I, I would I would buy a, a Cobalt twenty three foot uh, R three is what I'd buy. Twenty three foot Cobalt R and what kind of features do you get with that? It's a all electronic dash, what we call the glass cockpit now. All the gauges are digital. It's got lots of room in, inside the boat. The ride, one of the one of the, the keys about Cobalt is they they don't bounce on the water. They ride very strongly. They they uh, they they can hit a, a three foot wake and just you go across it like it's going across butter. More room inside a Cobalt than any other boat built. You take all all the boats are basically on up to 28 feet or are on an eight foot six beam. Uh, cobalt inside would have anywhere from, uh, depending on the model, uh, eight to a foot, eight inches to a foot more width inside that same eight foot six beam. Bob Campbell, I wish you a great season. Uh, Walker's Point Marina, if you're up in the Muskokas and you want to, well, I don't know, drop a little bit of loose change, maybe go see Bob Campbell. Come, come and see our new owners, Vince Palladino and the Palladino Auto Group. The Palladino Auto Group, eh? So can you buy a car and boat at the same time, something to tow that boat away? Probably, that probably will start happening. He owns... He owns dealerships from BMW, uh, Mercedes, Chrysler, Honda, Mazda, Toyota. Wow. It shows you it's a business that you know requires scale, and I think these guys are taking advantage of it, right? Exactly. I think, I think we'll see some uh, efficiencies come into the business that, uh, that we haven't had uh, before, and they, they promise they're not going to change anything to change the great uh, strength that, we, that we've had at Walker's Point. Jack knows it personally. From, uh, you know, we're, we're built on service, and that's what we will continue to do. My friend, Walker's Point Marina, Bob Campbell, sales and marketing, a treat to have you on Hi-Fi Radio. 
Going to take it back home, Rob Young, tech media telecom analyst with Canaccord Genuity. Talk a little bit about one of our tech darlings on Bay Street. That company is Shopify, right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio, your host Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, my wingman, and we have Rob Young on the line. Rob is an analyst at Canaccord Genuity, uh, covers a lot of very interesting uh, uh, tech and media companies. Um, specifically, a stock I want to talk about is Shopify. It's, it's become a bit of a darling on Bay Street, but I still believe it's not that widely known by Canadians and Torontonians, so I just want to bring a very, very expensive and successful stock to our listeners' attention. Stock is Shopify. So, Rob, I too don't know very much about the name. Jack knows a little bit more about the name than I do. So why don't you start sharing with the audience, um, who is Shopify, what do they do, um, and what do you think of the stock itself? Sure. Well, Shopify is uh, certainly one of the the darlings of Bay Street, uh, darling of uh, Wall Street as well, Um, trades at a valuation the very high end, both in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, so Shopify is um, e-commerce for typically for smaller companies, um, Soho, small business. That's the way it started. Uh, so if you're a small business, you want to get online and you wanted to do it in a very simple way, Shopify was your path. They make it very simple to start a store, to source product, to add all sorts of interesting um, uh, tools for managing your inventory, for shipping, for, you know, assessing demand, for doing all sorts of internet uh, demand generation, just really make it simple for you to get online and sell stuff. And uh, they also make the payments really easy, which is another uh, thing that's uh, complicated. And so over the last uh, few years, it's been very, very successful. Uh, They have over 500,000 companies that are using it, but it's also started to expand into large companies. So companies like Tesla, uh, General Electric uses it. Large companies are now looking at Shopify as a way to do e-commerce in a very simple way as well. And so a company that's been growing very strongly on subscription revenue because they charge a subscription fee to the people that use it, but they also have a very strong uh, level of growth out of the merchant's uh, services side of their business, which is the payments, the shipping, stuff like that. Um, Very, very good company, but you're going to pay a lot for it. Uh, Trades at a a very high multiple. I mean, just today it's up 3%. Um, if you look back a year ago, it was under hundred dollars. It's 165 today. So, you know, it's, it's on the way to, to, to doubling, uh, in, in, in that period. It's a, a very highly valued company over 10 times revenue. They don't currently have any profits. Um, they don't. And so the only way to look at this, uh, you can't look at this in terms of an earnings multiple. You have to look at it in terms of uh, revenue multiple. Of course, we do expect that they will be profitable in the future because they have such a strong business. I think that they'll be able to you know, have very strong cash flow in the future. And that's why people are willing to pay such a strong revenue multiple because the expectation of future cash flow. So it trades at 10 times revenue. Um, who are its competitors? 
Oh, so uh, just recently, Adobe bought a company called Magento. So Adobe, a very well-regarded company, as you know. We own, we own the stock. Yeah, so they're a competitor. Um, and with, with, that, with, with Magento, okay. Yeah, and there's a company down in the U.S. called Big Commerce. Um, uh, Salesforce, they bought a company called Demandware. And so uh, some of these companies... Also, uh, Demandware does the same thing. Well, they're similar. So the, what, what sets Shopify apart is simplicity. So you, you can get onto a, uh, start selling something uh, in, in a day. You can build an e-commerce site in a day, whereas a lot of the competitors require more configuration, more development. They might need a consultant to help you. Shopify just really simplifies it. So if you're a guy who's selling stuff in your spare time. Yeah, you know, I, well, I got this brand I've been developing. It's called The Wolf on Bay Street, and I create swag. I give the swag yeah. away, but I may sell that swag one day. Um, yeah, you should use Shopify. You can sell some hats on Shopify for sure. So how would that work? What exactly would I do? I got 15 or 20 items and I want to know, market them. What would I do with Shopify? What would they do for me? Yeah, yeah. Well, first thing you do is just throw open your browser and type in www.shopify.com. And uh, in about a couple of hours, you can have your own site built. Um, and then you got to go out and find somebody to build your hats. And uh, they can manage the inventory and the shipping and uh, the payments and everything so that you can sell those hats. You just Shopify will take care of the shipping. They will take they care can. of payment. They can, they, can, they can take care of payment, fulfillment. They can, yeah. um, You mentioned something about sourcing inventory. You've got to go out and find someone to buy uh, to, you to find make the hats for you. They're, 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 you've got to get that wolf logo. On ah, so, so, so the, mar- the marketing they won't do for me, but uh, everything around that. I do the marketing and they, and, and they do all of the logistics. There's a logistics they stock. They make it simple for you. They make as it as simple as you can. Well, you know, because it can be very daunting as a little entrepreneur with so many tasks on the table to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Going into the realm of e-commerce is just another level of work. And it can be very intimidating. Uh, where do I start? What do I need to concern myself with? So you're saying Shopify basically is a near turnkey, uh, simplistic solution. Uh, and what you pay as you go is not an upfront fee as well then because it's gone cloud. It's gone into a recurring revenue model. That's right. Yeah, those are, those so are, those are great. You're a subscription, uh, which gets you in the door, and you can use their product. However, uh, if you choose to use their payments or you choose to use their uh, shipping product, then you're going to pay them, um, you know, per unit. Per unit. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay some bills around here. Uh, But if you're into scratch and win, uh, it's another stock that uh, Rob Young covers. The company's called Polar Bank Note. I think it's third or fourth generation, maybe sixth or seventh generation Canadian company uh, that went public uh, back in the days of the Income Trust. And Rob covers that stock, and well, too, apparently it's becoming a bit of a tech stock. Rob Young, about that right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. The show is Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money at 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, your hosts of the show. We have Rob Young. 
He's an MBA. He's an analyst. He's a great guy. He's also a funny guy and very smart guy. He's an analyst at Canaccord Genuity. It covers a bunch of interesting stocks. Uh, we talked about Shopify. I do want to cover up two stocks to, in the next five, six minutes with you, Rob. Um, Polar Bank Note. Um, I remember watching that company go public back in the days of the Income Trust, probably 2003, 2004-ish, something like that. Uh, okay. It was a cash flow machine. They said they had stable revenue. People were quite predictable in terms of the amount of bing cards and scratching wins that they consumed each and every week. And so the stock paid a big fat dividend. Then, of course, the white pages came along and bye-bye went the income trusts and the tax preferred uh, investment vehicle. Uh, but the stock continued. Uh, PBL is the symbol. Uh, tell me, from a family-run point of view, because this, this, this was a family-run business for, I think it was six or seven generations, and finally mm-hmm. the, the, the current generation said, let's take the company public and, and uh, have a bit of a liquidity event. But still, I think they still maintained a fair bit of stock in the company as well, didn't they? They do. Yeah. They've got about 67% of the uh, the shares. That's a good thing. The family, the family. Mm-hmm. And so that's either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your perspective. Um, on, on one hand, it lowers the liquidity that's available. So some high volume trading doesn't necessarily follow around Pollard. But um, if you are of, if, of the view that a, a family business is well run over the long term, um, then you certainly have uh, the Pollard family that's aligned well with the investor. And that, then, that's well, one of the most important things too, when you see a, a, a company go public, you want to see you know who's selling. How much are they selling, and how much are the uh, you know the initial people hanging on to? Because they see it still as a good business. So obviously the Pollard family, yeah. you know, although they had the liquidity event, um, they raised a lot of cash. Uh, they kept their interest because it's a good company, and they wanted to you know maintain that cash flow. What's the stock yeah. uh, trading at today, and what's your price target on it? Um, well, right now we've got it at um, a twenty-four dollar and fifty cent price target. We're close to that right now. The stock has been twenty-four uh, fifty. Sorry, yeah, and right now it's it was a little bit weak just recently. Um, uh, but it's around twenty-one dollars now, twenty dollars and eighty-nine cents. I don't have a chart. I don't have my chart screen in front of me, but I remember that company coming public. If I'm not mistaken, it came public at either seven fifty or ten dollars. Uh, do, do they do a split or a reverse split on the stock or something, or just uh, it's basically up uh, twofold or threefold since IPO? Is that correct? Uh, not recently. This was probably up because they just took the .un away from their symbol. I think they kept the symbol the same. Uh, yeah, and my target's $25, not $24.50, so ah. $25, yeah. Uh, so you stock fully valued at these levels, you think? Well, so I would say that at $20.89, it's getting close to my target. Yeah. Um, Sorry, um, they, 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 by the way, I want to ask you about their business. Is their business like the next business we're going to talk about, Stars Gaming? Uh, and, and do both these companies end up collecting revenue for the government? Yes. But both so do the, the stars group as well. Does get a piece of uh, lottery and uh, casino revenue because I want that. That takes me to operate. to the next story they want to talk about, which is a stock you don't follow. Um, but I think you said your name is on some of the research, but you're no longer the official analyst on the stock, correct? Which is the Stars Group. That's right. And yeah. and this was a company that came out of, I believe, Amaya Gaming and Amaya Gaming purchased Poker Stars. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So Amaya Gaming was a small company. And uh, they bought a big company called Stars Group. It was a pretty impressive financial transaction. The Stars Group is the bulk of the business, essentially all of the business now. Mm-hmm. They've renamed it to uh, the Stars Group from Amaya. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ticker is uh, TSGI on the uh, TSX. So it trades on Toronto again. So again, another yeah. interesting Toronto story. What, what's the valuation market cap of that company? Uh, valuation right now would be on EBD, but somewhere around 11 times. Yeah, in terms um, of its market cap? 
market cap uh, around ten billion dollars. So it's a ten billion dollar stock. Uh, from here, from these levels, uh, do you think there's upside in the company? Yes. Why? Why? Why, why do you like, like this? Why, why do you like the story? I don't have a rating and target on. I, it. I understand I think that this is a a very good company. So the upside, I think, is related to the U.S. market, which is now opening up its sports betting uh, opportunity. It wasn't legal for a long time. It's now opening up. And so on a state-by-state basis, um, you know, companies are going to be able to participate in sports betting. And uh, the Stars Group is one of those companies that's, um, uh, that's pursuing that opportunity, and they have a good position. And so, I mean, that's why I think... Could, could, you yeah. know what? Sports betting and, and betting just in general and gambling, it's, it is a secular growth trend, meaning a long-term growth trend. And part of the reason is because the governments are running these deficits. It's hard to raise taxes from where they are here in Ontario, as we all know. So how, how else are you going to raise money? What's another option? Well, they're going to, you know, legalize marijuana is one thing, but also, you know, increase the amount of gambling. But, but the Stars Group, uh, Rob, are they generating the bulk of the revenue in America or in Canada? They're shifting. Yeah, well, right now, the bulk of the revenue, it's a global company. So a lot of the revenue, I think about 60%, 65% of the revenue is poker. So the, those of you listening who play poker stars, I mean, a lot of it is people converging on the poker stars uh, site from all over the world to play in a poker game. And uh, they also have a casino business and they have a sports bet business, which are also, well, the, the remaining piece of the business, which is about 40%. And, uh, but they're growing faster because poker hasn't been growing fast recently, but uh, casino and sports book both have. Uh, the interesting thing about the Stars Group is they have a very, very strong brand and they have a strong affinity from people who like playing poker there. They have a massive market share in poker globally, online poker, I should say. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so they have a very engaged user base, which they can you know, move into their uh, casino and sportsbook businesses. And moreover, in the U.S., as it opens up, Poker Stars is a familiar brand to people in the U.S. Hey, by the way, because I'm interested in time here. So when I watch poker on television, uh, is that part of the Stars Group? The, the oh, poker, the world, yeah, the World por- uh, Poker Tour. Yeah, yeah, they have a media division, um, which uh, does a lot of videos around poker. Part of their marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm quite compelled to watch a few things on TV that sort of surprised myself. And I, I, I really enjoy watching golf, although I can't play the sport to save my life. And actually, I can get really, I can get really drawn into watching a poker game. You got to sort of figure it out. We got the river, and you got the this and the that. But it's quite exciting to watch it. It really, really is. And some of the characters, of course, that play it are entertaining. I would say it's, it's better to watch it than to play it because you end up losing money, right? So it's uh, you still get the same uh, excitement or some of the same excitement, yeah. anyways. Without, yeah. I think yeah. it's one of those media properties where people didn't think it would be exciting to watch, and it turned out it was. Right. Now, just, just look at wrestling, the WWE stock. My goodness me, that thing's making new highs. Who would have thought, eh? Anyways, uh, Rob, young analyst, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Uh, dude, it's our pleasure to have you on Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money, a show that airs each and every weekend on Global News Radio 640 in Toronto from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Of course, show available by podcast as well. And as indicated to you, I'll be sleeping on the streets of Toronto in November. For Covenant House, please visit the Covenant House website, make a donation. Uh, I would greatly appreciate it. And you may even get a stock tip from me for that donation on Hi-Fi Radio. <laughs> You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.